Namaste, friends and listeners. Mandela here. I'm excited to start sharing podcasts again after pausing to focus on wildlife conservation. That said, I need your help. In order to keep the podcast ad-free and work towards financial independence, I'm asking folks to donate a few dollars each month by visiting traillesstravel.net and following the link to my Patreon account. Every donation helps. Thank you so much for considering to help keep this podcast and educational outreach programs available to everyone. Learn more at traillesstravel.net. Welcome to the Trail Less Traveled, an adventure series dedicated to taking you back to mankind's earliest form of entertainment, storytelling. Missoula, Montana is a mecca for outdoor enthusiasts, and each week we will bring you tales of outdoor adventures both near and far, as well as adventure information and inspiration, and a few tunes to set the mood. You can read more about the show online at traillesstraveled.net. And now here's your host, Grand Canyon Whitewater Guide, yoga instructor, and master of the didgeridoo, Mandela. This afternoon, the trail less traveled is being recorded next to the Yellowstone River inside of an old Land Rover Defender. This is the very first episode of the trail less traveled that I'm recording in the new studio. Needs some sprucing up. Right now we're sitting on a yoga mat. I've got the microphone propped up against some firewood. You know, very real deal stuff happening here. But I'm just so honored, sincerely, about who is christening the new Land Rover studio. Uh, his name is Vince Slaby, and he is a raptor ecologist. In February of 2022, Vince published an article in Science called The Demographic Implications of Lead Poisoning for Eagles Across North America. Vince is very interested in the use of non-lead ammunition and quantifying reduction in eagle mortalities. Vince, thank you so much for sitting inside of the Land Rover with me this afternoon to avoid the wind and uh, recording an episode of The Trail as Traveled. It's great to be here. I, I'm honored to be your first guest uh, recording inside the Land Rover. Thanks for having me. I had just so much fun with you over the past two days. Maybe instead of me running through it, can you take us through what we did over the past two days? So what we did over the last few days was we met at a ranch in the Paradise Valley of Montana. And we had multiple uh, organizations meet, including uh, the National Wildlife Federation, AMB West, MPG Ranch, and the organization I'm currently employed by, which is Conservation Science Global. The reason we're touring this ranch is because it's a place where there is a lot of elk harvest. And AMB West is an organization here locally in this part of Montana that reach out to the community and they do a lot of philanthropy. And one of the programs that they have is really interesting and really divergent with the things that I'm doing as a, as a scientist and I'm very much interested in, is that they're requiring the use of non-lead ammunition to harvest elk on an annual basis on their ranch. And not only that, they are guiding each individual hunter and taking them out and, and uh, helping them with the harvest and helping them recover the animal and, and get meat in their freezer. And so we all met on the ranch and we were able to take a tour. And, and part of that tour, we all gathered on this hillside. We were able to view a golden eagle nest. 
we all hung out on the hillside and we talked about conservation and we talked about the use of non-lead ammo and how it benefits this amazing species. At the same time, while we have optics set up and we're viewing a chick in the nest, and it was a beautiful view of the mountains, a view of the eagles, and also amazing conversation about conservation and about future collaborations and how we all can work together in reducing the mortalities in species like golden eagles by encouraging the voluntary use of non-lead ammunition. We then traveled back down the mountain and enjoyed a wonderful dinner together, all of us. And then we reconvened this morning at the Park County Rod and Gun Club here outside of Livingston. And we did that to put on a non-lead ammunition demonstration, showing us how non-lead ammunition benefits species like eagles. Both copper rounds, which are non-lead and lead ammunition, and we were able to view the fragmentation rates of lead ammunition and how those tiny fragments can end up in gut piles and carcasses that are targeted by scavenging species such as golden eagles and bald eagles. And we learned about the benefits of using copper ammunition that has very high retention rates, doesn't fragment the same way it does lead, and copper just in and of itself is a a much safer alloy to use in the field when harvesting game, especially in the case when gut piles are left behind and those gut piles are targeted by species like eagles. We are in the studio with Vince Slaby. When I say studio, I mean the back of an old Land Rover Defender parked alongside the Yellowstone River on a beautiful Saturday afternoon. Vincent Slaby is a raptor ecologist specializing in studying toxicants and demography of eagles. Vince published an article in Science called Demographic Implications of Lead Poisoning for Eagles Across North America. Vince is very interested in the use of non-lead ammunition and quantifying reduction in eagle mortalities. Vince, I would like to now share with our listeners the story of the eagle. And when I say that, I'm, I'm talking about bald eagles, I'm talking about golden eagles, and uh, the journey that they have been on, um, wrapping it up kind of with uh, where we are today. My personal education and my personal interaction with eagles started with my you know, interpretation of how eagles existed and how eagles were managed and what things were happening with eagles that were affecting them. And one of the first things I learned about was DDT and bald eagles and its effect, negative effect on bald eagles. And uh, Rachel Carson wrote a book called Silent Spring, and she identified DDT as a, a, a major contaminant that was a f- potentially affecting humans, uh, affecting our, our water, our rivers, our lakes, and also negatively affecting wildlife populations. And one of those species that was being negatively affected was the bald eagle. The problem was DDT was causing egg thinning and eagles were not able to hatch their eggs. And for that reason, eagles weren't entering the population. And so productivity rates went way down in bald eagles. And so in response of the population to that was that the population plummeted and the eagle went on the endangered species list. 
And when DDT was outlawed, bald eagles started slowly rebounding. And bald eagles uh, have rebounded to this day and have been growing, and their populations have been soaring over the last uh, several years. Uh, over the last several years, uh, bald eagle populations have gone up as much as 10% each year. And so we're basically still seeing a, uh, an increase in population uh, potentially due to the outlawing of this majorly destructive contaminant called DDT. The bald eagle kind of drew attention to another species called the golden eagle. And while the golden eagle wasn't as widely studied at this time, golden eagles were also experiencing their own issues. The thing about it is we don't quite know the extent DDT was negatively affecting golden eagles the way that it was bald eagles. For whatever reason, bald eagles were really negatively affected by this contaminant. In the 1980s, 1970s, lead poisoning was, was all of a sudden an issue for bald eagles. They were starting to see bald eagles coming into rehabilitation facilities. And this is at a time when bald eagles were protected under the Endangered Species Act. So bald eagles were coming in sick to these rehabilitation facilities. And a lot of these bald eagles were turning up with lead poisoning. The rehabilitators were scratching their heads. The researchers were scratching their heads. What is going on with these birds? Why are they being lead poisoned? And so the attention turned to waterfowl hunting and the use of lead for waterfowl hunting. And so eagles, one of the things that they're very well known for is that they're opportunistic feeders. And so in a scenario where a waterfowl hunter shoots a duck or a goose and that animal is wounded but does not die and continues to try to live, that animal is obviously injured and an easy meal, an easy opportunity for bald eagles. So researchers concluded that the reason bald eagles were being lead poisoned was these wounded waterfowl. And so that was one of the major impetus for the outlaw of lead and waterfowl ammunition. Also, they thought it was obviously a negative thing to use something like lead over wetlands. You know, you're shooting birds over wetlands that the BBs trickle down into the wetland and potentially is, is also uh, becoming a, a problem that way. And so in 1991, the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service and the, and the federal government passed a law stated that you had to use steel shot to harvest waterfowl moving forward. That law got passed, but bald eagles continued to be admitted to rehabilitation facilities at the same rate if that they were being admitted prior to the law outlawing lead ammunition and waterfowl. And so bald eagles then all of a sudden were a concern again. Why are they continually being lead poisoned? In the meantime, bald eagles were also taken off the endangered species list. And so it wasn't as much of a concern for their population, these sources of mortality, as it had been back in the 80s. And so researchers continued their work and the Peregrine Fund did a study. What their hypothesis circled around was, are the bald eagles and other scavengers being poisoned by ammunition from upland hunting, like from rifles and from shotgun slugs, are eagles being poisoned in that way? And so what they did was is they took an x-ray device out into the field, a portable x-ray device, and they're able to find that lead fragments existed in gut piles and in dead animals that had been shot with lead ammunition. And so now all of these research projects started being formed around studying bald eagles and golden eagles. 
and other species, uh, turkey vultures, another species, and how lead may have, may be affecting these birds from another source, from this upland hunting, from this big game hunting. And so what they found was, and, and what many papers, m- multiple papers from all over the world, multiple research papers from the United States concluded that this source of lead poisoning in these birds was this fragmented ammunition available from rifle hunters, shotgun slug hunters, and any other animal, not just hunters, any other animal who is dispatched and left on the landscape. Scavengers are then eating on that animal and they are potentially being exposed to uh, these lead fragments that are available. And so where my career intersects with this is when I was working for Raptor View Research Institute in Missoula, Montana. Rob Dominich became interested in studying the effect of lead on golden eagles and just studying whether or not this lead was detectable in these birds. And so the birds that we were working with at Rogers Pass outside of Missoula, these birds were migrating from the north to the south. And as they were passing through Rogers Pass, we were capturing them for our research purposes and testing their blood. A large percentage of these birds showed up with elevated levels of lead. And again, there had already been all of this research that had said, well, they're probably ingesting the, this lead from carcasses. And we were seeing that as well. And there's these hunting seasons up in Canada and Alaska that occur prior to these birds moving down through the, through the U.S. And so these birds were showing up with lead poisoning and I became very passionate about it, and I was able to work with Raptor View Research Institute for nine or ten years, and uh, I became very passionate not only about lead poisoning these birds, but also about the birds themselves. Uh, You interact with these animals, and I was lucky enough to be able to directly interact with them and also observe them in their natural environment, and I became very interested in continuing this work, continuing looking at lead poisoning in eagles. I was able to embark on a PhD program. And in this PhD program, we wanted to look at lead in golden eagles and in bald eagles at a nationwide scale. And there had been these multiple regional studies from around the country and around the world, but we wanted to look at this issue at a continental scale. That is the voice of Vincent Slaby. He is a raptor ecologist specializing in studying toxicants and demography of eagles. He published an article in Science called Demographic Implications of Lead Poisoning for Eagles Across North America. Now that's kind of what you're talking about here, this nationwide project. That's actually how I was able to be connected with you when this article came out in February of 2022. You mentioned the eagles traveling from Alaska, and I don't think that every listener knows how far an eagle travels. So I would just love it if you could share with us some interesting facts about eagles as well. Uh, For someone listening who may not know, because yesterday you and I were looking at this beautiful golden eagle from above, and I learned a lot from you. It was just a magical moment. We were on the top, a knob looking down and through the Paradise Valley into this golden eagle nest with a chick. I learned that sometimes he eats so much that he can't sit up, you know? (laughs) I learned that unfortunately 50% of the chicks don't even make it to adulthood. Golden eagles are a very interesting species, and some of the population are migratory, and some of the population are sedentary. And so, back to when I was a field biologist for the Raptor View Research Institute in Montana, along with the lead interest, they also had interest in their movements. And so they started putting satellite transmitters on these birds that were moving through Rogers Pass in Montana. 
And from that, they were able to learn that some of these birds were nesting as far north as the North Slope in Alaska, northern portion of Alaska, the northern mountain range, as far north in Alaska as you can go. These birds were then wintering in areas like Montana, areas like Wyoming. So from that perspective, they were moving thousands of miles in a given season. You know, they would nest up in this tundra environment in north central Alaska, and then they would move down along the Rocky Mountain front, these thousands of miles to reach an area in the lower 48 states of and they would then stay there for the winter and they would find food sources. And through what we've learned about golden eagles is that their food source, you know, from the, the summer months when they're nesting switches from live prey to things that have been killed. And it's an opportunistic feeding strategy. It's a seasonal feeding strategy. And basically they're able to survive by eating this stuff that is dead on the environment and how do things die well things die from vehicles we have a lot of vehicle collisions in the lower 48 states of deer and elk and other animals and so these animals end up dead alongside the road and eagles feed on those and also we have hunting seasons and hunting seasons are a big producer of food for scavenging species like eagles. And so these eagles are not only moving this these thousands of miles, but they're they're also depending on this food source of dead animals during the winter. And then the winter ends and then they move those couple thousand miles back to the north. And if you think about as they're moving either north or south and they stop to feed on a carcass or a gut pile that potentially has lead fragments from bullets in the gut pile. You realize as soon as you start learning about the physiology about what lead can do to a bird, you realize that their migration may stop right there and they may die. Their migration may stop right there and they may have to be admitted to a rehabilitation facility if by chance someone finds the sick bird and then that sick bird can be treated for lead poisoning. So you have these birds that move into the lower 48 states from northern Canada, central Canada, and Alaska. And then you also have this nesting population in the lower 48 states. And if a bird nests in the lower 48 states, they're considered sedentary. And these birds stay in their general area of where they nest. They may move a couple hundred miles one way or the other, but in general, they are here and they are considered a sedentary population and they stay in the lower 48 states. So in places like we are right now here in, in Livingston, you have this year round population of golden eagles. And then you also have this influx of wintering birds from the north. And you also have this extensive harvest of elk and deer in this area. There's a lot of areas and a lot of hunting districts around here where there's just a ton of animals being harvested. So you have this high population of these birds, both sedentary and migratory, and then you also have this potentially vast amount of contaminated food source that they are exposed to. Today, the trail less traveled is being recorded in a Land Rover at Sacagawea Park in Livingston, Montana. We are parked along the Yellowstone River. The cottonwood trees have fresh leaves. They just budded out within the last week or two. 
the Yellowstone River is absolutely swollen. We've had lots of recent precipitation and we've had a couple of warm days. So the snow melt is starting to come down out of Yellowstone National Park and through this part of Montana and Livingston. And we have very dark brown water and it's swollen to the banks. We have some birds singing. We have a yellow warbler singing. We have a uh, western tanager singing. And we have a couple different swallow species flying around uh, over the tops of the water, uh, foraging for insects. That is the voice of Vince Slaby. He is a raptor ecologist specializing in studying toxicants and demography of eagles. In February of 2022, he published an article in Science called Demographic Implications of Lead Poisoning for Eagles Across North America. Vince is very interested in the use of non-lead ammunition and quantifying the reduction in eagle mortalities. Now, Vince, I just would like to talk to you about your research. The reason I, I embarked on it was the idea that we were going to get samples from across the country and multiple different types of samples. So we collected samples from over 1,200 individual eagles, both bald and golden. We collected femur samples, we collected liver samples, and we collected blood samples. From the femur samples, for instance, what we found was that almost half of the birds, half of the femurs that we tested, showed signs of repeated lead exposure, meaning the levels of lead in those bones, in those femurs, were above a threshold that uh, pathologists consider chronic lead poisoning. And so what we concluded was, wow, eagles are being chronically lead poisoned at this nationwide scale. Our 1,200 samples came from Alaska all the way down to Florida, from Maine out to California, and these samples represented what was going on with lead poisoning of eagles on a continental scale. What we also discovered was that eagles, their population growth rates were being suppressed by this toxicant, by lead. And what we found was that golden eagles, their population growth rates are being suppressed by 1%. And with bald eagles, we found that their growth rates were being suppressed by 4%. Bald eagles, as we talked about earlier, their populations have been growing over the last several years. And so their populations are going up regardless of different sources of mortality, such as lead poisoning. But what this paper is saying is that the bald eagle population could be growing faster. It could have more individuals if something like lead poisoning wasn't affecting them negatively, wasn't killing off part of their population, and wasn't suppressing their growth rates, preventing the population from growing. Now, moving on to golden eagles, their population, as I said, was being suppressed by 1%, this growth rate. In this case of golden eagles, we have a stable population. So the population is neither growing or declining. At first glance, you say, oh, their population is only being suppressed by 1%. That sounds really low. Actually, in a stable population, any source of mortality that adds up at all to 1%, 2%, 1.5%, whatever, could be negatively affecting the population in a way that the population could be going from stable to declining. 
And that is you know, something that we really need to look further into and to truly understand the effect of lead poisoning on these populations. In the case of bald eagles, their population is increasing. And what we're saying with this 4% of reduction of population growth rates is that population could be growing even more. And bald eagle populations are estimated around 300,000 individuals nationally and growing, okay? And so basically what we're saying is there could be more bald eagles in the absence of lead poisoning. Now let's move on to golden eagles. Golden eagle populations are somewhere around 40 or 50,000 individuals, and their populations are stable and not growing. And so when you talk about this 1% reduction of population growth rates, you could be talking about the difference between a stable population and a declining population. And if you think about the fact that golden eagle populations are maybe 20% of the total of bald eagle populations, then you start to understand the, the seriousness by which and the effect that something like lead could be having on their population. Vince, one thing that I found very interesting about your article, it seemed like the levels of lead were higher in the wintertime when they were scavenging more. Can you reflect on that a little bit? Because there are some, some people out there who I've uh, shared this with and like, oh no, bald eagles are getting lead poisoning from fishermen. So I'd like mm -hmm. you to just kind of uh, answer that you know, question. Sure. You know, and this question is, is a very good one because it relates back to the feeding ecology of eagles. And during the summertime, when eagles are nesting, prey species are abundant. So with golden eagles, you have an abundance of ground squirrels, you have an abundance of rabbit species, you know, cottontails and jackrabbits in some places. And these eagles are highly focused on those prey items and they're feeding their chicks these prey items. So they're raising their chicks with this live prey that they're harvesting. In the case of bald eagles, fish are abundant this time of year during the spring and summer months, and they're raising their chicks on fish and other mammals and other animals associated with aquatic systems. Now, we move from the summer months into the winter months, and what we're seeing is a shift in this feeding ecology. So these birds are going from eating live prey to this live prey not being available and the birds scavenging on dead animals and on carcasses. And so the data that has been collected, not only for my project, but for multiple projects around the world and around our country, is that eagles are consistently showing higher lead concentrations in their blood during the times of the year when they're scavenging on dead animals and on gut piles. And we know just from the knowledge that we have of this particular toxicant is that we know that these eagles are being exposed through what's called primary lead poisoning, primary poisoning events. We know that these birds and other scavengers are actually eating lead fragments. And these lead fragments are much more likely to be in these animals that are dead on the landscape, these gut piles that are on the landscape. Because one of the most common ways animals die and one of the most common ways gut piles are available on the landscape is through the use of lead ammunition. And so we know that this feeding ecology shifts 
from live prey to dead prey, and the data support this. We see this seasonal spike in lead concentrations of eagles uh, during this time of year when their feeding habits switch to eating things that are available and dead on the landscape. And that brings me into how I'd like to wrap it up, and that is what can we do about it? A lot of the times when we hear about species declines, people feel heavy, and I truly believe apathy is mankind's ticket to extinction. And I usually wrap up the show by asking the guests to share three bits of advice, but instead of quantifying it like that, you have a beautiful project that you're starting that I was here helping you with over the last two days a little bit uh, with documentation, but I would love to just open up for you to share what those out there listening can do and what you are on the ground doing with the hunting community. So in addition to my research, you know, I'm also a hunter. I consider myself an amateur hunter and and a fisherman. I consider myself someone who enjoys providing food for myself in the form of uh, fish and and I like to go deer hunting as well. And so we're now coming into this intersection of my life, of my professional life and my personal life. And as a hunter, I know that this information I'm sharing and these conclusions that we have from our research can seem accusational toward hunters. And the the idea is, is that it's not. It's just something that we discovered and it's something that we want to portray in a very positive way. And we think we have the solution. I think we know we have the solution to this problem. And the solution to this problem is that hunting persists in the exact same way it's persisting now, if not more. We need more hunters. We need more sportsmen. We need more fishermen. The idea behind hunting and how it relates to conservation is very important to me. Wildlife biologists like myself around the country are employed because of the taxation that exists for hunting ammunition, hunting rifles, and hunting licenses. And so it is very important that this message not be construed into thinking that the hunting community is a negative impact on eagle populations. What we need to focus on is how the hunting community can make a small change toward non-lead ammunition and toward conservation of of golden eagles. Uh, I have a lot of friends who are are, are avid hunters. I have a a lot of people that I interact with are hunters. And no matter how many times I talk about this, I meet someone who has no idea that golden eagles and other scavengers are being poisoned by lead that is left in lead fragments in gut piles left behind by hunters on the landscape. This idea of science and the idea that lead poisoning, uh, we've concluded that eagles are being lead poisoned. We've concluded that it's happening at a time of year that intersects with hunting seasons. And my paper is in line with hundreds of papers in the research community that have concluded the same thing. And so what I've been inspired to do now is shift my career from documenting this lead in these birds to trying to do something about it and to reduce mortality of these birds by an action that we believe is is paramount in 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 protecting uh, eagle populations from this specific source of mortality, and that is uh, non-lead hunting. I have a couple of projects going right now. One is a project 
in Wyoming, funded by the National Fish and Wildlife Foundation. And in this project, what we are doing is we are buying hunters non-lead ammunition. We are asking that they allow us to follow up with them after the hunting season. So we say, okay, we're buying you two boxes of ammunition in a place called the Shirley Basin in Southeast Wyoming. And what we're gonna do after that is survey and see if you harvested an antelope, a deer, or an elk. And then we quantify that. And then I take this back to science. So we've, we've communicated with these hunters and we've reached out to them to get them to use this non-lead ammunition or at least to try it to see if they like it. And then now we're quantifying the amount of gut piles that are on the landscape that are lead free. From that information, we can then plug that into a statistical model. And what we are doing now is quantifying the reduction in eagle mortality as a direct result of a proportion of the hunting population using non-lead ammo. And it, this is very, very interesting to me because I'm moving from documenting this as a problem to actually doing something about it and moving out into the community and doing something about it. We have a project here in Southwest Montana in collaboration with AMB West. And for this project, it's, uh, it's called Montana Hunters for Eagle Conservation. And what we're doing is we're giving hunters in this area of Montana $20 off for a box of non-lead ammunition. And we're doing that in conjunction with this messaging of saying, lead ammo can be dangerous for eagles, we, we support hunting, and we would like to see some hunters switch from this lead ammo to this non-lead ammo, and we're trying to do it in a positive way, and we're trying to do it in a way that benefits hunters. You know, hunters spend a lot of money that end up into conservation, and so I really enjoy the fact that I'm potentially helping eagles, but I also really enjoy the fact that I'm helping hunters, hunters that are spending a lot of money anyway. I'm acquiring different sources of grant funding to then offset the cost of ammunition for them. And it's been a, a really great couple of years of doing this. I've had overwhelmingly positive response of hunters in Wyoming. We're just kicking off this program here in Montana and we're hoping for a similar reaction here. And we're hoping to do more ammo demonstrations. So we're coupling this, this scientific research with also with outreach and a message of exactly how eagles are becoming lead poisoned. And it's just become my passion. It's become my kind of my purpose as a researcher and as a scientist to move forward with, you know, not only documenting this as a problem, but doing my best to do something about it while also preserving the most important conservation group in this country, and that being the hunting community. So getting them to say, hey, all right, I don't want to leave a poisonous food source on the landscape. I want to leave a, a food source that's good for scavengers, good for birds, good for eagles. And all I have to do to do that is simply switch the type of ammo that I'm using. And I'm hoping to get that message across, and I'm hoping to be able to talk to hunters as much as I can and potentially effectively save some eagles. That's the voice of Vince Slaby. He's a raptor ecologist specializing in studying toxicants and demography of eagles. Now, uh, Vince said that hunters and anglers are responsible for a very large amount of money that goes towards conservation. That actual that number, that percentage is 80% of conservation funding comes from hunting and angling. Someone listening might be like, why don't we just ban lead ammo? I'd like to just quickly cover why that's not a good idea. 
the hunting community is a like I said, an amazingly conservation minded community. And they also are, you know, we just talked a lot about this research of lead poisoning of birds and eagles. They also are wildly unaware of this issue. In a place like California, the California is the standing example right now. And in, in California, lead has been identified by researchers as the number one reason why California condor populations are unable to recover and unable to be removed from the endangered species list. They are particularly susceptible to lead poisoning as an obligate scavenger. And California looked at that as, well, we're just going to outlaw lead ammunition. Mm-hmm. Through examples like that, we found that the hunting community not only was wildly unaware of this issue, wildly unaware that they were leaving a contaminated food source in the landscape, but there's another important factor. They also don't like to be told what they can and can't do when they're out hunting, what they can and can't do when it comes to guns and ammunition. And this is a very important thing to realize. Not only were they unaware of this, but they all of a sudden were told that they couldn't use a certain type of ammunition. And just anecdotally, in speaking with hunters from California, that was not very well received at all. And this is in contrast to the programs we have going here in the Intermountain West, in Wyoming and Montana, you know, people like Chris Parrish and, and Leland Brown with the National Non-Lead Partnership, Mike McTee with MPG Ranch in the Bitterroot Valley, Aaron Kindle with the National Wildlife Federation in the Lead Free Landscapes campaign. All of these campaigns have something in common. We're all promoting the voluntary use of non-lead ammunition because I would like to think that we're all either familiar with the hunting community or part of the hunting community. And we are aware of the fact that legislation is not well accepted in the hunting community. And not only that, but legislation for something that a lot of the hunting community is unaware of. And so what we have challenged ourselves to do is to go out into the community and talk to them about this issue and talk to them about the performance of non-lead ammunition and how it still is fully capable of putting meat in the freezer and feeding our families. And so that is our initiative. That is what we're passionate about. We are passionate about communicating with hunters and focusing on this idea that a large proportion of the hunting community will switch when they learn about this. And as we promote this more, and as the industry responds. So the more we promote non-lead ammunition, the more hunters are gonna want non-lead ammunition. And the more the industry will be, they'll be forced to, this is capitalism. If more hunters want something, and it's a product that the industry needs to create, they will start making more of it. And when they start making more of it, the prices will be driven down and it'll be more available. And this to us is the pathway forward to this problem, not legislation. It's the voluntary use of non-lead ammunition to harvest big game animals. And it falls upon people like me to do this outreach, to talk to hunters, to do programming, like participate in the non-lead ammunition demonstration we did today. It's very important to, to show it in that way and give these hunters the opportunity to switch on their own. You know, too many times this information that eagles and other scavengers are poisoned, it gets published in academic journals and it gets trapped into obscurity. A large proportion of our population will never read an academic journal. And 
a large proportion of research that's published in academic journals is not covered by the media. And so in that way is not made available to basically anyone. And so what we are challenged to do is to make that information available and widespread and digestible to the hunting community in a way that they know we are also against legislation. We are not promoting that. We are promoting the voluntary use and the communication of this issue uh, on a widespread scale. And just to add to that, today I actually witnessed firsthand two to three different hunters who had been hunting for over 20 years with lead ammunition. And because of what they saw today regarding the performance of the non-lead alternatives, today we were demonstrating with copper, they said without a doubt they are switching immediately because they want to make sure that they keep lead out of the food that they're feeding their family and also because they want to keep lead out of the carcasses that bald eagles and golden eagles are 100% going to be finding and feeding off of. So that was really beautiful to see. They were blown away and they were excited as well. Thank you so much, Vince, for joining me on the trail less traveled. Mandela, it's been great meeting you. Thank you for having me. I'm humbled to be on your show. Thank you very much. Namaste, Missoula, and my friends around the world. This is Mandela, your host of The Trail Less Traveled, the Trail 1033's locally harvested adventure radio series, dedicated to collecting stories and sounds from around the world. This evening's episode was recorded in the back of the portable recording studio on the edge of the Yellowstone River in Livingston, Montana. I sat down with Dr. Vince Slaby in early 2022, Dr. Slaby published a paper in Science called Demographic Implications of Lead Poisoning for Eagles Across North America. This paper is the first to show continent-wide demographic consequences of chronic lead poisoning in bald and golden eagles. Nearly half of studied eagles exhibited chronic lead poisoning, and that lead poisoning is a barrier to the growth of eagle populations across North America. The solution is the voluntary switch to lead-free alternatives in the field. For hunters such as myself, that means pursuing deer and elk with copper ammunition. On behalf of the National Wildlife Federation, I was able to join Vince in Livingston in order to collaborate on a lead-free ammunition shooting demo. Afterwards, we sat down and recorded this interview. You can listen to the premiere of The Trail Less Traveled every Sunday evening at 6 Mountain Time, Many people stream it live online at trail1033.com. And if you miss the premiere, the show is a podcast, which is available everywhere, and you can see the full show archive, as well as learn about the outreach programs available to schools around the world by visiting traillesstraveled.net. If you're at all interested in supporting the outreach programs, you can support by becoming a member of my Patreon community. More information is available at traillesstravel.net. My adventure tip this week is, if you are a hunter or an angler, please consider making the voluntary switch to lead-free alternatives in the field. We can continue shooting lead ammunition at the shooting range, but when it comes to harvesting animals, consider the benefits of using lead-free alternatives such as copper ammunition. That way you can ensure that the meat you're feeding to your friends and family is lead-free, as well as considering the scavenging eagles who will consume the gut pile left behind. 
That's it for this week's adventure, my friends in Missoula and around the world. But until next week's adventure, I just want to say thank you so much for supporting the show. Get outside. And remember, the thing about the NAR is it doesn't shred itself. <laughs>